Welcome to Light Trees and News, everyone. Pop culture, politics, and a sprinkle of treason. It is I, Allison, your host. Hello. I hope you're doing well. I apologize about my voice. Listen, sometimes in a woman's life, she schedules a very busy weekend and she's a social butterfly. Her schedule is full. And we blow out our voice because we were having such a good time. So I apologize. I also (laughs) apologize that I meant to get this episode out yesterday. But uh, as I mentioned, you know, we we just got a bit busy. So we're here now. That's all that matters. Hello. I'm going to be honest with you all. I was very torn about... (laughs) what I was going to say about the Oscars, A, because I feel like it happened a million years ago already. But like, you know, we had covered it extensively in the lead up to the Oscars. We had made our picks, which Meredith and I did pretty good. We did pretty good with our main category picks. Uh, I believe I had a 68% accuracy. Meredith had a 57% accuracy. Not to toot my own horn, I did beat Meredith. But there were some surprises. Uh, We'll never speak of Jessica Chastain winning again. I liked her dress. Meredith didn't. So we also disagreed on that. (laughs) But yeah, there were obviously the moment that I'm avoiding talking about is the one that everybody has talked to death, which is the slap. Here's my thing. A, nobody cares what I think, right? Nor should they. Nor should I feel any white person be saying a black man should be sent to jail, even though Chris Rock himself said he didn't want charges pressed against Will Smith. Man, never seen a room full of so-called liberals so quickly be like, jail, jail. All right, let's all calm down. That, that This is my main takeaway, okay? I want everybody to calm down. <laughs> and like, here's the thing. If we're going to start taking or kicking people out of the academy based on criminality, there ain't going to be nobody left in the academy. And not to belabor this point, which has been made many, many times, but it's like, I think Will Smith's main crime was that he he did the bad thing publicly. <laughs> Whereas so many directors and producers, uh, Harvey Weinstein, if you will, were doing their crimes in private where people could sort of be like, oh, we just don't talk about it. We just don't talk about what Harvey does because we want to make films with Harvey. So we just don't talk about it. But he did it in front of cameras. So he got kicked out of the Academy, which means he could still get nominated in the future, but he can never attend a ceremony. And I think it's very unlikely he'll ever win again. Although, who cares? Once you win, it's like he he has an Oscar, right? And just from a producing point of view, the people who were like, he should have been kicked out of the theater. They should have given his award to someone else. I mean, can you fucking imagine if they had done that? First of all, you're trying to make snap decisions so quickly. People were like, why didn't someone stop him when he was walking up to the stage? Because he's fucking Will Smith. 
And he's known as like the nice, funny guy. Nobody thought he was going to fucking slap <laughs> Chris Rock. Nobody thought that was going to happen. So I guess my my main takeaway is it was a crazy thing that happened that no one could have anticipated. Everyone's just trying to deal with it as the best they can in the wake of it. Will has apologized. Chris says he doesn't want to press charges. That's it. And I don't think we need to be hyperbolic and say this is going to inspire a crime wave now. People are like, what's going to happen at the Grammys? And it's like, probably fucking nothing. Watch now that I've said that. Something insane is going to happen. But like, I feel like this happens every time a story like this enters the news cycle. It's like, who can get the most hysterical the fastest for the likes? (laughs) You know, where it's like, Will Smith doesn't need to go to jail, you know, but like, don't hit people. It's like a basic lesson we teach little kids. And the toxic masculinity of it all, that to me was the creepiest part where he's like, you do crazy things for love. And it's like, fucking yikes. Let's not say that. Let's not equate physical violence with love. That's not love. That's your ego, man. You didn't like that people were covering the fact that your wife sleeps with other people so much. It bothered you. And y'all probably shared a little too much. And and now you're dealing with the embarrassment from that. That's what that was. You know, don't say it's because you loved your wife. And like to equate it with defending women, uh, like... Richard defended his family. That to me was the grossest part where I was like, just, you know, you were drunk. You had a lapse in judgment. You fucked up. That's what that was. It wasn't you like being a heroic knight defending your woman, you know? So, yeah, that's how I feel about that. But also, like, can we just like take it down? Like, the fact that it has been dominating the news cycle. Truly, everyone I have spoken to, I'm talking like in therapy, my therapist bringing it up, in a job interview, the interviewer bringing it up, like everyone is talking about this. So I was like, I guess I have to address it because it was crazy. I couldn't believe it when it was happening. I thought it was a bit like everybody else. And then I had friends texting me who weren't watching the ceremony, but they were on Twitter and they were like, what the fuck is happening? And I was like, it's chaos. And like having spoken to people who were in the room when it was happening, their main thing was like, everybody thought it was a bit. It happened fast. And then when he started swearing, that's when everybody knew it was real. And he was just like shit faced. So. That is, yeah, That that's all I want to say about that. And, like, sorry to bring it up at all, but I thought it would have been fucking weird if I didn't. Um, so the other thing that, like, was so unfortunate about that happening was really cool shit happened at the Oscars. Uh, Troy winning for CODA. His acceptance speech was really moving and beautiful. Um, you know, Questlove winning for Summer of Soul. like. Very, very cool things were happening and it just did not fucking matter. I shouldn't say that. It still matters. But it's unfortunate that like the news didn't address it or talk about it at all because all anybody wanted to talk about was the slap. Because again, it was 
insane. <laughs> so like, I get why people pivoted to focus on that. But it was like, oh, man, does anybody even know Summer Soul one best documentary? Because that's a good fucking documentary. And y'all should go see it if you can. But yeah, th- so that sucked. Also, I'm sorry, Coda winning best picture. That's going to be one of those wins that we're going to look back on in a few years and just be like, what was that movie again? Like, it's a fine little movie, but I was frustrated, y'all, not to get up on my soapbox again, but how's Dune going to win every technical award, but Denis doesn't even get a nomination? That to me is wild. So what you are saying in this moment is technically this movie is perfect. Every aspect of it deserves to be awarded, except the guy who was at the helm of the ship. (laughs) The guy who hired everybody. The guy who made every ultimate call in the end. Oh, and by the way, it's a Best Picture nomination, too. But mm, the director, we, we just don't know. We just don't know if the director was up to snuff. And again, I've shared my opinion about why that might have happened. They might be waiting for part two to give Denis his Oscar. But it was frustrating. It was very silly when they were just, like, sweeping the technical awards. And it was just, like, this glaring omission. Like, and Denis was there. And to be like, sorry, bro. Every other aspect of this film fucking rocked us, but not you. It was silly. Why was Kenneth Brana in there? I just, oh, God. So I'm like happy. The Coda, the Coda team seems lovely, and I'm very happy for them. I just think the Academy wanted a feel-good picture to win because, you know, I don't know if you guys have been paying attention to the news cycle, but shit is rough out there, and it's been rough for a while. And I think the Academy was like, you know, this is just like a nice little family movie. You feel good at the end of it. Let's award that. Let's award these nice people. And like, nobody's mad about it. I've never seen anybody like, what the fuck? Coda sucks. People are like, oh yeah, I guess. You know, the fact that it was sort of a sign that they were going to win, that they went to the White House. So I was like, okay, so we've, we're have we celebrating this film at this point. So I'm not mad about it. I'm just sort of like, it doesn't, you know, it's every year at the Oscars. It doesn't fucking make sense. It's like, we can't get on the same page about what should have won everything. So it's all over the place. But like, not in like a fun, surprising way. The only like surprises were like, and it wasn't really a surprise because Meredith and I talked about this on the show that. Jessica was really, really, let's say, advocating for herself aggressively, and it paid off, and she fucking won. And everyone was like, what was this film? Truly, did anybody see the Tammy Faye movie? If you're younger than 30, do you know who Tammy Faye is? You probably don't. Maybe you do. I don't know. And speaking of aggressively advocating for herself, uh, Ariana won as, as expected happy for her. Yeah. Uh, I'm thrilled that Jane Campion, when she won for Power of the Dog, managed to keep the Williams sisters' names out of her mouth. Very thrilled. As soon as she brought out a little piece of paper, I was like, okay, we're safe. She's not going to riff this one because perhaps she learned a lesson from the last time she got a little loose with her acceptance speech. Don't talk about the Williams sisters. So. Yeah, Power of the Dog losing Best Picture. I kind of saw that writing on the wall just because 
you felt the momentum shifting towards Coda a little bit. So that wasn't a huge surprise. Yeah, I mean, sadly, though, the one big surprise was the slap, which we don't have to talk about ever again. But you know we will. You know we will. Because people are obsessed with it. So while we're in the recommendations section, everybody, as a reminder, I have a Patreon, patreon.com slash Allison Kilkenny. I love hearing from you over there about uh, any questions, comments, recommendations, little life updates, something that you're very excited or proud about. Get in there and brag. I hate the term humble brag. I hate it so much. I think if you're really happy and passionate about something, go off. Go off, you know, and like be proud of it and don't like couch it by being like, not to humble brag, but something really cool happened to me. Like, if I am your friend and I support you, I'm going to be happy for you. I'm not going to be like, wow, brag much. You didn't even ask how my day is going. So, choosing not to be happy for you. Like, what a gross, insane way to live. So Brian wrote in, have you seen the Maggie May fish video on Twin Peaks? You should really see the Maggie May fish video on Twin Peaks. In fact, everyone should watch the Maggie May fish video on Twin Peaks. Well, maybe not if you haven't seen Twin Peaks, then you might be totally lost. I was amazed at how much I still can learn about that show. 32 years later, please don't use time against me, Brian. Don't remind me of how long things were on the air and aged me instantly. Thank you. Yeah, I was that weird eight-year-old who loved Twin Peaks when it was airing. Me too. Same Z's. I would watch it with my parents. And I didn't even have to sneak it. We watched it as a family. Should have just read the, the next sentence, Brian. Should have just read it. Same. I watched it with my parents. I think they briefly had a discussion. Uh, Bob, the character Bob, who's an evil spirit in Twin Peaks, scared me so much. And I must have been like visibly shaken one time because I do remember my mom being like, should we not let her watch this? And I think ultimately they were like, it's fine. And I'm glad they did because it's one of my favorite shows of all time. I credit it in part to why I am a weirdo. Like the second I was aware of David Lynch, I was like, oh, you can do that. Everything is boring (laughs) compared to that. So I'm glad I saw it, even though I was probably too young. I don't know. What I'm trying to say is if you're a parent, just let your kids watch whatever. That's my parenting tip. Should I always have one parenting tip in every episode, even though I am child free? I'll just like throw it in as a little Easter egg. Maybe I'll do that. I'm going to instantly forget. So recommendations, everyone. I feel like too many to to name at this point because I I like to say I consume a heroic amount of pop culture. You know, like when people actually learn about how much shit I watch, they're like, damn. I'm like, I know. That's why my brain is this way. You know, you get this brain from injecting it with a lot of nonsense. So I know a bunch of stupid, useless trivia that will benefit me in no way ever, but we're chock full. I got no more room up here. You want me to learn history or math? Sorry, find somebody else. So 
on that note, on the 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 note of the stupid, there is a very, very, very stupid show on Netflix, I believe, called Is It Cake? And you're probably like, Allison, is that just a show about people trying to figure out if something is cake or not? And the answer to that question is yes. That's exactly what it is. It is hosted by an unhinged Mikey Day, who I did not realize until watching Is It Cake might be in my top five list of favorite people on the planet. He's so funny and weird. And I have to say, too, I give so much credit to anybody who does a good job hosting, which, by the way, I thought the three uh, ladies, um, Amy, Regina and Wanda, did a great job hosting the Oscars. Thought Amy's opening monologue was solid, good writing, whoever out there contributed to it, in addition to Amy, I'm sure. And hosting a gig like that is rough. You are under the microscope. People are just waiting for a joke to flop, to jump all the fuck over you, even though like they, of course, could never do as good of a job as you in a million years. And I really don't envy people because it's like you have to have a very specific, you have to be like for, is it cake, for example, when you're like interacting with contestants, you have to be good with the banter. You have to be funny, but like not too corny. You have to have like a little bit of a bite to you. Otherwise, you're like unbearable to watch. And Mikey has that balance. He he found like a really funny energy to guide the show. And it is very watchable. It's so fun. Just put it on if you're like you're having a sick day or you got to do a a bunch of annoying tasks and you can just like occasionally look up to the TV. It's that kind of show. So if you're feeling down, I uh, that is my feel good recommendation. And I also hope Mikey hosts more shows. Like I, I don't know if he was just doing that for a paycheck, but he's really good at it. And I had no idea he had that skill set. He also keeps referring to himself as the white guy from SNL, which I thought was very funny. Or I think one of the white guys from SNL. I was like, yeah, that is how I knew you for a long time. So opposite side of the spectrum for recommendations. (sighs) Guys, I saw everything everywhere. And if you're like, I've never heard of that film in my life, you are not alone. I had no idea I was seeing such an early screener until Meredith told me everything everywhere isn't opening in limited release in Wisconsin until like mid-April. And I was like, holy shit. So apparently this was like a very limited screening in New York. I think probably LA too. And it is a film by Daniels. That is the filmmaking team of Dan Kwan and Daniel Scheinert. Hence the Daniels. We got two Dans. Look out. I was just talking to someone about uh, that there are too many mics, which reminded me back in the day I wrote a sketch called Too Many Daves. That was a, a children's show about how there are too many Daves. And if you're thinking that sounds stupid, it's because it was. It was a very stupid sketch. And I loved it dearly. So... Everything, everywhere, all at once stars the incredible Michelle Yeoh, who it, if you've seen like any 
decent action film. You've probably seen Michelle Yeoh at some point. She's a fucking legend. She's an amazing actress, but she's also an incredible martial artist. And she's, as I said, she's a a legend. So I loved this film so much because it very much felt like the Daniels love letter to Michelle and, you know, honoring her, her career and how amazing she is. And it's just a celebration of Michelle Yeoh. It's like, it's so wonderful. And it's about the relationship between, you know, a first generation immigrant mother and her child who is queer and very American, you know. So there, there's a real like love story at its center, not just with uh, the, the central protagonist and her daughter, but also her relationship with her husband. Um, and it was just so wonderful to also see uh, Hugh Hugh Kwan, who you'll recognize as being the child actor from The Goonies and Indiana Jones. And he has not acted in a very long time. And I recently heard a story that like made me cry about when the Daniels offered him the role officially. He was on camera, like his webcam, you know, via Zoom. Uh, and his wife was there and they both burst out crying because they were so happy. And he just murders this role. He's so good. And it's like a tricky role where he has to be like very dorky, very vulnerable. And then also just like go through guys when he flips a switch. And the martial arts scenes are incredible. The choreography is incredible. Everything is just top, top notch. And then it's like, oh, and you're amazing actors. Okay, I guess. Is this my favorite film? Like, honestly, it was one of those experiences where as I was watching it, I was just thinking, I'm so happy watching this. (laughs) It's so good. So I really, really encourage you guys, if you can, to see this film. It blew my stupid head off. Just get, get in your car. Can you drive? Can you get on a bus? Just get to the nearest city see everything everywhere all at once and also tell your friends because that it's going to be one of those movies where we just got to tell a lot of people to go see it because once people see it they're going to fucking love it. I didn't even talk about Jamie Lee Curtis. Jamie Lee Curtis gives a crazy performance in this film and she's so good. Everybody's great. Top top notch. No notes. Gentlemen, no notes. So Kind of a similar note in in terms of no notes. I also saw X, which is a new horror movie by the great Ty West, starring Mia Goth, Jenna Ortega, Brittany Snow. It is set in 1979. It's about a group of young filmmakers who set out to make an adult film. That's also called a porn, everybody. In rural Texas, but when their reclusive elderly hosts catch them in the act, the cast find themselves fighting for their lives. And I just have to shout out Jenna Ortega, who is about to be a major superstar. You've probably seen her in something recently. She was in the new Scream. She was my favorite part of the new Scream. I was like, who is this little actress? She is great. She's so good at playing afraid. 
And she just got cast as Wednesday Adams. Like, she's going to be a major, major superstar. So watch out for Jenna Ortega. She's a little beast. I've loved her in everything I've seen her in. And then, of course, you know, Mia Goth and Britney Snow. Come on, y'all. Like, they've been good for a minute. Great for a minute. But I really, really enjoyed seeing Britney Snow in a very different role than what we're used to seeing her in. She's usually like a a preppy blonde little angel. And this time she is still blonde, but she's a big old slut. And guess what? The movie celebrates that. They love that she's slutty. Uh, She's a real person. She has real dreams and wants. And it's great. I really, really liked the sex positivity (laughs) in this movie. Because when you hear it's about, you know, an adult film, it's like, uh uh-oh, what is this going to be like? Uh, I also should mention that Kid Cudi is in this movie, which was awesome to see. I've never seen him play uh, uh, not himself in a movie, so that was very exciting. He did a great job. Uh, I guess I should say uh, Scott Miss Cudi, so that's his legal government name, and that's how he's credited in the film. I don't know if he's trying to like get away from the Kid Cudi-ness of it all a little bit when he acts, so apologies, Scott. So, yeah, he he's wonderful, not playing against type he, in this film. You know, uh, not Kate Cuddy at all. Does a great job. Martin Henderson and Owen Campbell. It's a really, really solid cast. And it's really well directed. There's a, a an opening sequence with an alligator that is so well done and, like, haunting and plays with suspense in such a wonderful way that that is the moment I realized, like, we were safe. We were in good hands. This was going to be a great film. And I really appreciated the film, the themes of like repressed sexuality and how that can lead to terrible things. So it is a very clever horror film in the, in the tradition of the best horror films. Like it has something to say and, but not in a way that it feels like an after school special. You're not like rolling your eyes like, okay, yes, sex positivity. We get it. It's 2022. And like to people calling it derivative, I just think that's like the flip side, negative side of saying something is a clever homage because yeah, you're going to watch it and you're going to think about Texas Chainsaw Massacre. And guess what? That's deliberate. Ty West said this is a tribute to films like Texas Chainsaw Massacre. So I chose to see it as an homage and it didn't feel like a ripoff. It didn't feel like Ty West had nothing new to say. In fact, I think this film is all about Ty West having something new to say about the genre, about the similarities between the sex industry and horror, you know, like the overlap there. And yeah, very watchable, very fun. And yeah, of course, trigger warnings for violence and all of that stuff. So be braced is what I'm saying. And then finally, everybody, and then I'll I'll get into awful, awful news. I am giving a recommendation for the new season of Atlanta, which is on FX, but also Hulu. I think the deal with Hulu and FX is Hulu gets the episodes, but maybe a little later. I can't figure it out. I don't understand how streaming works and those kinds of deals. But the first three episodes of Atlanta are up on Hulu. 
It's great. They're really, really leaning into the surrealism of the show, which I love. They played with it a little bit in seasons one and two of Atlanta. And this is like really full throttle. And I love it. I love how every episode so far has felt like Alice in Wonderland, where they they don't talk down to their audience. They just drop us in the middle of an environment and they're basically like, you'll figure it out and you do figure it out. <laughs> Everything's fine. It's the the core cast that we're used to, but now they are in Europe because they're touring. And so there's some very, very funny critiques of racism in Europe that are spot on and like deeply, deeply funny. And just made me remember how amazing Lakeith Stanfield is in everything he does. I mean, everybody's great. Donald, Brian, you know. Um, but man, that guy, he does so much with just like silently reacting to things. <laughs> There's a scene where he has been the the victim of a racist interaction that he like processes quietly and like moves on but there's a bunch of white people around him who blow it entirely out of proportion and his reactions to these white people being furious on his behalf are so funny so i uh, highly recommend even though this is like a mid-season recommendation which my one of my famous mid-season recommendations where it's like i can't vouch for the entire season but i'm like those first three episodes slap so check it out. And also, uh, if you haven't seen Atlanta, catch up. It's a great fucking show. Go binge watch seasons one and two. Some of the best TV you'll see. All right, everybody. On that note, and listen, I'm just going to brace everybody. I'm going to go for as long as my voice lasts me. But I have to keep pausing every 20 minutes because my my voice is just crapping out on me. So uh, just just be aware if this one's a little shorter, that's why. But Enough of the recommendations. I'm so sorry. It's that time of the show. Here's your bad news. Let's talk about the January 6th insurrection, shall we? I'm sorry. I just haven't moved past it. Seems like kind of a significant story. Call me crazy. I know the news cycle is finicky, but feels like we should still be talking about it. Anywho, so according to official White House records from January 6th, there is a gap of more than seven hours in phone calls placed to or from then-President Trump and do not list calls between Trump and the lawmakers uh, and lawmakers while the attack was happening. So this was reported by the Washington Post and CBS News. Seven hours are missing from the record. Now, this has been pointed out by other people, but say during the Watergate scandal, then President Nixon got in a lot of trouble because there was like a 15 minute gap in his phone records. 15 minutes versus seven hours, more than seven hours. Yikes. Imagine everything you could have done. Imagine all the bad things you can do in seven hours. I can do a lot. I could do a lot of bad things. 
if the laws of the nation were suddenly suspended and they were like, all right, Allison, you have seven hours, go. I would just be a little Tasmanian devil of destruction. So imagine what Trump did <laughs> in seven hours. You know, I'm sure a lot of it was just like trying to get their ducks in a row. Like, oh, shit, is this going to come back on us? Because we we incited a riot. So we got to get ready. We Legally, we got to get our defenses up. So CNN first reported in February that the records turned over earlier this year from the National Archives to the House Select Committee investigating the January 6th attack showed no record of phone calls for several hours made to or from Trump as the violence unfolded on Capitol Hill, which was immediately suspicious. It's like, you weren't taking phone calls during this? You absolutely were taking phone calls during this. The 11 pages of the White House presidential diary, which is a record of the president's daily activities, and White House switchboard call logs show phone calls Trump had with at least eight people <laughs> the morning of January 6th and 11 people that night, with no notation of calls from 11.17 a.m. to 6.45 p.m. So he was a little busy bee. He was making a lot of phone calls. He was getting a lot of phone calls. I'm sure a lot of panicked phone calls. Like, oh, shit, oh, shit, oh, shit. <laughs> what do we do? What do we do when this comes back on us? So I'm putting it in the bad news section just because uh, I feel like when the laws of the land don't matter anymore, that is inherently a bad news story. Even though, of course, anything ha bad happening to Trump ultimately is a good a good news story. As I have stressed so many times on this show, Anytime anything bad happens to one of my enemies, I put it in the good news section because she's a petty bitch. I don't pretend otherwise. If you come to the good news section looking for like acts of humanity or like anything that would be on upworthy, sorry, that ain't this show. I'm going to laugh about something bad that happened to a Republican because that's a good day for me. So also in bad news, Let's talk about Mayor Eric Adams. Oh, Mayor Eric Adams. I've noticed he's been throwing a lot of parties lately, and some big celebrities have been turning up and um, tacitly giving him their approval. And, and to that, I would just say, do you know that he's currently overseeing um, a, a huge clearing out of homeless encampments across the city? The biggest? Some might say more than 150 encampments all over the city. He's doing that. And there's no plan in place to house these people. So he's just destroying their homes. <laughs> like, that's what an encampment is. That's shelter. So you're destroying homeless people's only form of shelter and not giving them an option to go. So are they just supposed to go die? Is that the plan? It sounds like that's the plan. If you take someone's shelter and don't give them another option, you're pretty much telling them to go die. But hey, I hear Eric Adams throws sick parties. So if you're um, Cara Delevingne, you know, I hope you had a good time dancing, girl. While these homeless encampments are being bulldozed. But I wanted to talk about it because obviously this has also been a huge story in L.A. where. Uh, a lot of homeless encampments have been destroyed. You know, 
there's a, a really high homelessness rate in LA, as there are in most major metropolitan cities that have warmer climates, because when you're a homeless person, it helps to live in a state that has warm weather, you know? But here in New York, we also have a lot of homelessness. This is, of course, directly tied to lack of funding for mental health resources. Turns out when you slash the budget of mental health institutions and you close facilities that house people who are trying to find some help, uh, you kick them out, suddenly homelessness goes up. (laughs) It's like, yeah, dum-dums, there's a correlation. It's called a direct correlation, actually. Not to get too technical on this. Uh, I almost called it a publication, which is sweet. I guess it's a kind of publication. And Eric Adams has been trying to cover his ass because people were like, what are you doing to homeless people? By saying, oh, you know, well, social services is working with us as we destroy the encampments and we are offering to take them to shelters. Now, here's the problem with the shelters. The shelters are also massively underfunded, overcrowded, and oftentimes homeless people are the victims of violence when they stay at these shelters. And that could be anything from like someone stabbing you or raping you or, you know, a a multitude of bad things can happen at these shelters. So oftentimes for homeless people, the safer option is staying on the streets or sleeping on the subway where no one's going to hopefully attack you. So that's not a good enough answer is what I'm saying to just say, oh, we're going to send them to the shelters. It's like, yeah, they don't want to be in the shelters because the shelters are fucking awful. Like they're actually making quite a rational decision when they decide not to stay at the shelters. By the way, not to discourage anybody if you are currently uh, housing insecure or, or homeless, Shelters are a good option in most cities. It's just in New York City, it's it's massively overcrowded and it, not great. Not a great option for homeless people. So on that note, everybody, that's enough of the bad. Let's end things on a positive note. Here's your good news. Well, 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 here we are in the good news section, also known as the petty zone, where I laugh at my political enemies, and that of course includes Madison Cawthorn, the North Carolina congressman who got into a little bit of hot water recently because he went on a podcast And, uh, you know, got a little loose because he's on a podcast. It's funny how oftentimes even people with media training get wild on a podcast because they're like, this isn't real, right? And to answer that question, uh, most of the time, uh, it's not real. It's not a real show. No one will hear the episode. Uh, So you're right. You're right to have a different attitude. But apparently people did hear this podcast because Madison got into a little bit of trouble because he claimed during his time in D.C., he has been invited to orgies and has seen many Washington figures use cocaine, <laughs> which is one of those like, no shit, Madison. Like, yeah, welcome to the, the the world of powerful rich people. 
They fuck a lot. They do a lot of drugs. This is what they do. And so he got into trouble because uh, the other Republicans were like, don't fucking blow up our spot, dude. Like, shut up. You, you, you're you going to see this stuff, but don't talk about it. So I'm partly putting this story in the good news section because I think it's very funny. Madison ran his mouth on a podcast <laughs> brought down by a podcast. That's all podcasts are good for bringing occasionally bringing down the political elite because they think p- podcasts aren't real shows. It's our only line of defense. OK, so after he does this, he is called into a meeting with the House Minority Leader, Kevin McCarthy. And Kevin McCarthy's not happy with Madison Cawthorn. He said that his comments are unacceptable. And he added, there's a lot of different things that can happen, meaning to Madison as a consequence of this. And he said, I just told him he's lost my trust. He's going to have to earn it back. And I laid out everything. I find it uh, unbecoming. And you can't just say, you can't do this again. I mean, he's got a lot of members very upset. End quote. So I love the you've lost my trust by telling people I do coke and fuck at orgies. <laughs> this feels like a very housewives interaction. Like, Brittany, don't put my personal information out there in front of a national audience. Very that, very that energy. So I thought this was deeply funny. You know, if the listen, if the worst thing Republicans did was do drugs and fuck at orgies, we would live in a much, much better world. The issue is they're also enormously evil on top of that. So no judgment against anybody doing drugs recreationally or engaging in group sex. I support you. I celebrate you. Um, Consent is necessary. So just keep that in mind. But other than that, I just love a good public fuck up like this. Like, dude, what were you thinking? What did you think would happen? You go on a show and you're like, you know, these, you know what these guys are doing. They're doing rails of coke and fucking a bunch of people who aren't their wives. Isn't that wild? What did you think was going to happen? I love it so much. I hope he keeps going on podcasts. I hope he starts a podcast and just tells everybody's business the Madison files. And he's like, what's up, sisters? Guess what? Today, I'm taking everybody down. I would subscribe. Like, subscribe, five-star review. Let's go, Madison. Also in good news, and this is like a rare, legitimately good news story. Is everybody sitting down? Are you braced? It's happening. Amazon workers at JFK 8, a warehouse located on Staten Island in New York City, voted to form a union with 55% of voters in favor of unionization. According to the NLRB, they reported on this. This is a huge win for unions. Huge. This is the first successful major union drive for the retail sector in several decades and lands a wake-up call to other retailers that want to avoid a unionized worker composition. So obviously, this is a huge win because union membership is down. The number of U.S. workers and unions dropped 10.3% last year. But the recent vote to unionize even one warehouse at a retail behemoth like Amazon is a big win for labor. So huge congratulations to those workers. I wish I knew this employee's name, but there's a meme going around 
And I apologize. If anybody knows his name, please tweet it at me and I'll, I'll tweet it out there. But I retweeted it the other day and it just warmed my heart so much because, again, good news is so rare these days. <laughs> and this was such a, a huge moment for the labor movement. Um, can you tell I'm trying to buy time while this loads? So there's a photo of one of the Amazon <laughs> workers in front of all the press microphones. You know, they're, they're given their speech about the fact that they voted to unionize. And he said, we want to thank Jeff Bezos for going to space because while he was up there, we were organizing a union. And I saw that and I went, damn, that's a good fucking quote. Keep that man in front of the microphones. He knows a good press snippet. He knows a good press blurb. That is so quote worthy. What a good burn. Jeff Bezos is a fucking evil idiot. <laughs> That was just so amazing. And it also took something that like was such a shitty display of elitism. And at a time when your employees are like pissing in water bottles because they can't take a break to go to the bathroom and there's like enormous wealth disparity, people can't afford to go to the doctor. Like things are so terrible and you go to fucking space. You are spitting in the face of every poor worker who who made your wealth for you. You did very little. You make a lot of money because poor workers do all the labor. You're spitting in their faces. And to take something so awful and negative like that and spin it like, hey, we're glad you went to space because while you were gone, we were organizing a union. <laughs> so good. So shout out to those workers. This is a huge fucking deal. And hopefully, you know, I'm so sorry to to use this cliche, but courage is contagious. And hopefully other employees will see this and, you know, it will inspire them to unionize as well. Um, by the way, a, a big motivating factor for anybody who voted like against unions is union fees, which is a, is a pretty short sighted reason to shoot down a union because ultimately one of the things that unions can fight for is higher wages. So that's another reason that collective action is so important. Nobody wants to pay the fees, but the fees are the reason that the, the union can sustain itself. They need those resources. So in the short term, yeah, yeah, you have to pay a little bit. But ultimately, you know, you get a, a five day work week <laughs> or maybe a four day work week soon. Some companies are trying that out. I think that's a great idea. Um, so yeah, guys, I'm going to leave it on that note just because my voice is threatening to give out and, um, you're not even going to believe this. I have plans tonight, so I got to save a little bit of my voice, but I hope you're having a wonderful week. If you're a Patreon supporter of mine, thank you so much. If you're not, you can become one for as little as $5 a month at patreon.com slash Allison Kilkenny. As I said, you get to skip the line over there. Listen, sometimes people email the show and I won't see it for months. That's just the the reality of the game. I don't check the email. So the Patreon is a good way to stay in contact with me. And you can follow Light Trees and News on all the socials. We're on Twitter, Instagram, not Facebook anymore because Facebook is evil. I'm not on Facebook either anymore, but I'm also on Twitter and Instagram. So follow me there and I hope you have a wonderful rest of your weekend. And while you're at it, if you're vaccinated, 
get out there and cause a little trouble. <laughs> <laughs>